Look at this. The tape recorder. It's running. His mind and his body are working together. As he talks, he paints a picture with words and with gestures. Take it easy, friend. We're doing the best we can to help you. Yes, but where in the solar system could he have come from? You solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give to be the truth? Truth. And soul! Truth and Soul Incorporated. The New Zealand Advertising Podcast. Okay, welcome to Truth and Soul New Zealand Advertising Podcast. Um, we have a, a rare treat today because a gentleman known as um, Rob Sherlock turned up back in New Zealand. I, um, When I came to New Zealand in 2000, Rob had just left, I think, to go up to work in FCB in Asia. He went on to become... Uh, uh, Chief Creative Officer of FCB Chicago and, and Global? Yes, some global accounts, but uh, mainly Chicago. So a, a big job up north. He then went on to become CEO of ADK. Yeah. Uh, uh, so ADK, the third biggest um, advertising agency in Japan. Number so three. Rob was in charge of their global, their operations outside Japan. Yeah. Which which, with my experience of Denso, is almost worth the podcast in itself. But <laughs> uh, we, we, we'll probably, we haven't got, haven't got much time because Rob has a vital uh, acupuncture um, <laughs> a, appointment. So we will, we will catch up on what he's been doing for, for the last 20 years. Originally, well, give us a bit of background, Rob. Originally from London, South Africa. Yeah, so, so again, <clears throat> thank you, Paul, and, and great... Um, being back here, of course. I mean, uh, New Zealand is famous in so many ways. It used to be for the obvious, and now it's it's just famous as the sanctuary and the sanctity of the world. Um, and it's 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 amazing. Got back in November, and and uh, you know, settling in as if uh, nothing happened in between, which I should do anyhow. So so yeah, born in. Birmingham, England. Uh, yeah. Left for South Africa at 12. Lived there until I was uh, early 20s. Uh, London then for a few years. And then uh, New Zealand uh, up until uh, 2000. And then, then um, Singapore, Hong Kong, then Chicago, 2007 to 12. Back to Singapore. Uh, and then uh, working with the Japanese for about six years, of which I spent a week a month. In uh, in Tokyo or in Japan, so yeah. so that's it, and and then sort of left left ADK, retired um, the beginning of last year, and uh, this is it, and doing a bit in between at the moment. So where exactly where which of those um, fourteen countries do you actually consider home? New Zealand, without a doubt. Just again, I mean, it's it's especially whenever. You're anywhere else other than New Zealand. And, and if I was in America and I said, uh, you know, where are you from? And I said, England, they'd go, oh, yeah, that's all right. But if I said New Zealand, yeah. the reaction was completely, completely different. And the same for almost anywhere else and especially for Japan because the Japanese um, see almost a brotherhood with New Zealand. Yeah. Um, they don't, it, it, it's... You know, it's a very, as 
you know, it's a very, um, very complex society. Yeah. And I think they see New Zealand as representative of, you know, a uh, physically about the same size. Physically very similar. Very similar. And uh, they respect nature. Yeah. Uh, they respect the democracy that we have. But I think it's also, th it's things like the All Blacks as well. They, yeah. they're, they're sort they're of like emergence rugby. in rugby, etc. And the fact that, you know, most of the time the New Zealanders aren't arrogant shitheads, um, which... Uh, There's been a few in this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm certain not, Paul. So why did you uh, start in advertising in the first place? So so basically, I think, you know, in... in uh, my day, and I'll say that because I've I've been in the industry for over forty years. But I was trying to, under my father's behest and request, trying to become a chartered accountant, which I was useless at. And my brother was uh, a junior writer at BBDO in those days in Johannesburg, and I could see he was having amazing fun. And we shared an apartment, and I sort of like drifted away from accountancy, which I was useless at, and uh, did a copy test yeah. at FCB randomly, and then started off from there. And and uh, yeah, it was great. I love it. Still do. So uh, you 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 then went from Johannesburg back up to London. So I went from Joburg, I, I worked in the industry in Johannesburg at three agencies, which was FCB, uh, Lintas in those days, Low Lintas, yeah. uh, Amoretti. Puri. Purist, pur yeah. And then uh, an iteration of McCann's. Yeah. And then I arrived in London with nothing fixed up. and I. Why did you go to London? Because basically my wife and I, for a number of reasons, n number number one, uh, we wanted to escape what was apartheid in yeah. full swing. And my brother was an activist and he was arrested and put in jail for a while. So it was very close to us that things were going wrong and... and uh, we didn't want to run away. We just couldn't stand the sort of oppression of knowing what it was and not really affecting it. So, And South Africa was at the time yeah. a pariah. Yeah, 1984. It was still right in the middle of the repression of apartheid. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we left and, and uh, arrived in London. In, in 84? 1984. In, in the middle of the 80s, uh, I... Didn't start in advertising in London for about another seven years after that. Yeah, but generally, the there was a, a huge amount of arrogance in the UK, which had a, yeah, a degree of truth in it. That yeah. London advertising was the best in in the world, and anything else was not really right. to be bothered with. And so, I would imagine it would have been quite hard for someone to turn up from South Africa and say, "Hey, yeah, it was." But I, but you know, it, it, it's I think I got lucky. Yeah, because I, I'd, uh, and again, luck. I think in our industry has got a lot to do with everything. Yeah, certainly not talent from us. <laughs> well, not not in my case, I can tell you. Um, I think it's because I worked on the Toyota account in South Africa and had some pretty okay success. Because uh, you know, won won a few things and and as as a part of the team. So so I actually initially got hired by a subsection of J. Walter Thompson, yeah. uh, Ford of Europe. So they said, oh, we'll take you on. And it was actually based out of based out of Barclay Square. Yeah. Uh -huh. So we were sort of semi-integrated. And then I sort of 
morphed over and and briefly worked under Alan Thomas and Jeremy Bullmore and uh, yeah. But a bit of background for uh, listeners. In those days, J- uh, JWT London was kind of like a gentleman's club. It was uh, full of um, <laughs> public school boys. Yeah. And it was it was set in Barclay Square, which was you know in the middle of Mayfair. It was uh, real estate there. It must have cost um, a fortune. Massive massive building in the middle of it, and it yeah. was it was not a hotbed of creativity. But it was a it was a hotbed of being a, a, a nice civilized place to work. The biggest, yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, you're you're exactly right, mate. I mean, it had a it had a culture, but it was emerging. I must admit, Alan Alan Thomas was not a public school boy. He mm. came from the wrong side, and mm. he actually managed to sort of sway the culture. And I think when I left in '87, it it, it uh, became the agency of the year. I think it swept up. Because you left, or- because I left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was part of their success was me leaving. Mm. Um, but you know, it had it was amazing because you're exactly right. It was you know right on one of the most beautiful squares in London. Yeah, and uh, it had a pub in the basement. That was a company of pub, of course. Yeah. Uh, and the and and it was a it you know it was a lot of fun. So so I left because not because I was thrown out. It's because my wife and myself uh, wanted a little bit more freedom than a first floor flat in uh, in Richmond, which is quite nice. But yeah. you know we used we're we're sort of uh, love the open yeah, the high spaces. Yeah. So 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 then I. Um, you know, they were fantastic. I said, look, I want to go elsewhere. And they said, right, we have uh, Detroit because of Ford. We have Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, which and uh, those days. And I, th- and I think it was also Ford. And all J. Walter Thompson, Wellington, uh, which in those days, the uh, ECD was Roger Ginsburg, who, who is still around. I know, like, Roger. Yeah. Yeah. I've really... Yeah, and again another uh, another pom, but uh, oh god, and we got on well and and uh, arrived sort of sight unseen, apart from a few faxes and phone calls, and that was it. So you ne- you'd never been to New Zealand before? No, uh, uh, you just didn't like to send Detroit because it's. Uh, I mean that was, that was the centre of the car industry, but there some brutal winters over there. Yeah, KL was unknown. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, complete backwaters in, in those days. Um, the whole continent of asia was fairly unrespected for advertising i've no idea if it was any good or not but it certainly it d- didn't have global status uh, and really, no. you went wellington so you you got something bigger than a two-bedroom yeah. flat in richmond like after london wellington was obviously a bit of a shock mm. but not a negative shock it was just like wow it's a different sort of tribe and everybody wore those adidas sweatpants with the three uh, white stripes in those days they, it, it like mm. became a uniform and we thought it was some sort of sporting sort of cult but it was just the the trend and and things like that but yeah we lived in new zealand's biggest suburb which was i think karori mm. in those days and um you know the kids were born there so it was great and then and then left wellington after about three years with the same agency with Gable Thompson. Yeah. Came up to Auckland because everything was like drifting north. Yeah. Yeah, I took talking to uh, Jim Hall actually. Oh yeah, yeah. So, recently and he was uh, you know the, the same the same thing and, and he thought it was that agency that that they'd felt the need to be close to government. Yeah. And that that 
kind of broke down. They went, well, why don't we go up to Auckland where there's more people and the weather's better? Yeah, and the corporates are, are um, you know, swilling around. So, yeah. you know, and I think especially, and again, I think it was, um, you know, influenced by by automotive. I think Ford were uh, were based out in uh, Mangere or something. Mm. So, so, so it made sense. And uh, I mean, I was at that stage, Jay Walter Thompson, which was good. And then I took on a role at um, Charles Haynes. Because it was just it 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 had just been so that was an independent Haynes advertising yeah it was one of the sort of old school more old school than Cable Thompson mm. uh, London it was it was really I mean very sort of stuffy and everything but but the reason I was sort of uh, headhunted I can say was uh, it was it was bought by FCB uh, about a month before they hired me so they. They went out and they said, "Okay, we've got to have a bit of a change of the guard." So, yeah. so yeah, it was good. I mean, and and we sort of. So morphed. Haynes became FCB. Haynes became FCB. And you were and you were, were you credit director or? Yeah, I was yeah. ECD at yeah. that stage. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure you went ECD because that title didn't exist until 2000. Oh, creative director. Yeah. I beg your pardon. It was creative director. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not even chief creative officer in those days. No, or, or yeah. creative chairman. Or yeah. creative chairman, those. Oh. Um, so, 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 yeah, it was good. And, and, you know, it was amazing because, you know, I always say that if you join an agency like Droga 5 or Wyden, et cetera, yeah. you've got a tough job even if you're good. Yeah. But if you join an agency like Charles Haynes in those days, yeah. it was actually relatively easy yeah. to be okay. To yeah. be good, um, so 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 that was it. We evolved, and I think uh, certainly not at what what uh, what FCB um, eventually evolved into uh, under under um, James Mock and Brian Vandenherk and Brian Crawford, yes, and uh, um, um, and DT and all yeah. and all the team, because that evolved into world class. You know, yeah. really amazing agency. I left when it was still okay. Yeah. Better than okay. Well, I'd like yeah. to say better than okay, but those are the guys who supercharged it. So, so in those days, it, it, it wasn't the, the glory agency that it became. Fuck so no. would it still be Sarches, Wellington, who were the... Yeah, I mean, it was Sarches and Colenso. Yeah. Uh, DDB were, were, were okay. We were, you know, we'd... we'd we were okay, but yeah. we was we we were not uh, not up there. And I have to admit, I mean, you know, a lot of the we had some brilliant uh, individuals who have really made it elsewhere, as uh, some of the juniors, etc. Yeah. Um, who else was there? He told me I'd fired him. Josh Moore, who you've had on this. Really? Early. Yeah. Yeah. So so uh, just. Just as an aside, my daughter worked in advertising in London and, and uh, here for a while. And Y&R, I don't know how long ago, they hired her as an account manager. And on the first morning she started, uh, Josh Moore walked up and said, is your dad Rob Sherlock? And she goes, yes, expecting like, oh. <laughs> and he said, he fired me. And that was it. I think he walked away. But I mean, it was fine afterwards. But I don't remember it because he's. You don't he's, remember firing him? No, no, I don't. And it, it's not something I was, you know, I wasn't like. But you fired so many people. That no, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. It was. 
So anyhow, so, so, well, so what's worse, being fired or being fired inconsequentially? I don't well, know. I've been fired many times, uh, you know, which is which is a good thing. But yeah, so FCB in the day, I think was was uh, was okay, was good. Yeah, at times, um, but but certainly not where it got. And but we had some, you know, amazing sort of evolution. We had. You know, I've worked like with Ike. I worked with Walden. He was the CEO at one stage with yeah. uh, Richard Smith, whoever remembers him. With no, I don't know with him. yeah, with the Bryans uh, when oh, I was yeah. overseas, but obviously had an overview of of the office. Um, and with we had an alliance at one stage with Mojo. So then it was all the Mojoites, the Graham Wills and Sean Cummins and... Yeah. and uh, Maddox, I've seen. Yeah, yeah, Richie Maddox, who I don't know that well. Yeah. Jill Brinsden, who uh, yeah. was part of it. He's on here, yeah. So, so, so yeah, it, it, it was amazing that it actually stayed intact in some ways because it was sort of, and I must admit, I don't say this, it, it, it was slightly abused by others outside. You know, I know that Mojo regarded us as almost the the retail brand. Yeah. Which we sort of were because we had... So who was abusing you? Well, the corporates were trying to separate us and pluck out all the creative accounts and move more retail in. Yeah. I mean, it was just... It's sort of... Look, it happens everywhere. It's a land grab. Hmm. And the power rules. (laughs) And... But but we, you know, we persevered and... and, uh, Mitre 10, some great stuff, especially under Murray Watt yeah. and Alf Naden uh, and all the guys. And uh, New World, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So that was the retail, a massive, chunky, successful uh, um, in um, a lot of ways. And then we had also... Financially successful. Financially successful, creatively pretty good. And you decided this was had enough of that and you went to Asia? Well, yeah, so so basically, um, uh, like I was always in the late nineties. I was always sort of involved in uh, the creative. Uh, what do they call it? The Global Creative Forums. Council yeah, yeah. Forum. So then, Chris, Chris for SCB. So you were you were on the Creative Council. So yeah. You, so you'd get flown once or twice a year to yeah to the Wankfest wherever it was. Yeah. And, and yeah, I don't think that was the official title. People. No, no, <laughs> no. So. So, but, I mean, but this was this was part of the the thing of being a an, um, yeah. an ECD stroke CD in a relatively uh, small but English speaking market where the, the advertising was okay. That you would get, you know, if you were doing a half decent job, you'd get get on the Creative Council and fly yeah. off to where did you go? Uh, well, well, and 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 just on that, I might be actually. I think for New Zealand because. You know, you had the Sarches, the Colenzos. You had some yeah. amazing agencies. We were sort of okay, maybe sometimes yeah. really good, but, yeah. you know, it was intermittent, whereas they had a consistency. Yeah. But within the FCB world in yes. those days, yes. we rose right up uh, um, with certain work, and especially the Americans um, were, were, like, amazed at the Kiwi uh, sort of yeah. attitude and... The creative output. So then, so so uh, then I um, uh, the regional ECD in those days was Chris Kime, who who uh, London, but then Hong Kong, and uh, he moved on, and then I I became ECD the uh, regional ECD for Asia Pacific, yeah, which was a good role. So I took, based in Singapore, 
in Singapore, then Hong Kong. Uh, so I was one of the... So I was in Singapore for, uh, I think, a couple of years, and then SARS actually started. And I, I was on one of the last flights out of Singapore and one of the last flights allowed into Hong Kong um, <laughs> because I'd relocated. I mean, it was crazy. And then I spent about three months in the Excelsior Hotel as one of about 20 guests. And it's like a 400-room uh, hotel. Mm. So that was... The intro, but that sort of evolved, and then. Uh, so you're used to pandemics. I'm very um, used to yeah. pandemics. Well, my wife is, who's uh, who's Hong Kong, yeah. Chinese. So 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 it was. Uh, I think as as the Guaylos or the or the the expats were a little bit sort of blasé about it in those days, but um, you know, and it obviously. Um, uh, fixed itself, um, and then yeah. So I, I I basically flew around the region. There was a lot of stuff, uh, mainly pictures, you know. So it was very very sort of exciting, and it was obviously everything from Ch- um, mainland through you know through to Taiwan, Japan, Korea, uh, Indonesia, Philippines, Malaysia, Cambodia, Laos. Uh, Myanmar was opening up, Thailand a lot, Sri Lanka, India a lot, uh, blah, blah, blah. So I, I think, because uh, we met at AdFest, I think at the time I was regional ECD of DDB Asia Pacific. I think so, yeah. At a time when it meant actually very little. I yeah. didn't do anything. 98% of my job was that as far as yeah. I was concerned, was New Zealand. And probably if I'd gone to John Ziegler, who was um, president of DDB Asia Pacific, and said, you know, I, I, I need to get into all these markets and, you know, get involved with them and, and try and raise a, be arrogant enough to try and raise a, the creative product, which would have been really doing my job. But I couldn't have done what I did in New Zealand, which was, yeah, you know, tough, tough work. No, and, and, and it's a bit like uh, I think James Mock eventually became regional ECD, but again out of New Zealand. And, and, and it's a tough job. Yeah, sorry, because, uh, uh, listen, the reason I'm talking about, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're talking a part of education as, as if you want to get into business or you're relatively senior in business and you want to become, you like the idea of becoming a regional ECD, exactly what do they do? I didn't do very much other than, than have the title and go to yeah. occasional creative catch-ups, but I get the impression that you did a lot more than that. Yeah, I did. Look, I've got to admit, mate, that I always say this. I think I'm an okay writer. I Mm. think I'm an okay creative. I think I'm a better leader and instigator and, and, uh, you know, sort of evoke, provoke work out of the people who, who... who I work with. So I used to get really involved. I, I, I mean, again, if it was a lot of new business... And I fronted it up wherever it was or helped yeah. with the team. But, you know, as I think I, I mentioned in um, one of those articles that maybe you saw, wasn't that you could just fly in, nobody knows you, and mm. harness the power of, of uh, the, the Indian yeah. <laughs> creators because they couldn't give a fuck about you and, mm. and that there's the dynamics of who is this, etc. So you had to spend the time. So when you flew in the first time, it was introduction, it was interest, it was finding out, you know, about them and how they work, mm. etc. Then you flew in again and you might, you know, have more trust or respect in their eyes then again. And you built it up over time. So right. eventually 
you could become a part of the team. You don't have to necessarily fly in there every time, but it became a relationship that added value for their office. So that, they knew they knew who you were when they got an email going, yeah. oh, we're, we're working on a pitch, can you help? Yes. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't just... Now, something, something else that I found uh, during that time, so I, I was flying up from New Zealand to whatever, yeah. uh, Singapore or Hong Kong, uh, generally, uh, and I, I say to the guys, it doesn't seem right to me that I should be a regional ECD based in New Zealand. Yeah. You should have somebody from Asia doing this job. And they said to me, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand because uh, you're a white guy, everyone hates you equally. <laughs> Whereas the the um, the rivalries and the tensions between all the other nations, there the were currents that that probably we will never understand that actually made it easier to have someone from outside. Did you find that? Look, without a doubt, some of the um, what do they call them? The seagull leaders who sort of fly mm. in and shit over everybody and then fly out. Yeah, well, that, was well, my, that was my model. Yeah, right. Well, they were not liked because they 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 felt they weren't relevant and it, and it was more of a master servant thing. Yeah. But as I said, mate, it, it's I found if you if you spent the time and you 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 tried to understand. You know, the culture of the people, mm. the environment of the agency, the competitive set. And you opened it up and you had like a conversation without being like a condescending expat sort of twat. Yeah. It worked most times. I mean, like, like again, there were fiefdoms and there's politics everywhere. Yeah. But most of the time, I think if you became relevant and you listened and you added value, especially for the CEOs, they're all the gateways. Yeah. They're almost like locking it in and saying, don't touch my people. Or, or we, you can look, but don't touch. But were, were the CEOs of the individual offices, were they resenting you because they're paying for you? Yeah, so <clears throat> a couple, a couple. I never broke through a couple. Um, I, had, I had my, um, um, the biggest issues in, in India, not because of the people, but there was one CEO, uh, I'll tell you his name, Anil Kapoor, who was a very dominant figure. Mm. I think actually his son's a film star. And he he started off with open arms, Rob, come in, mm. you know. But then I started to put uh, pressure on the office to up the game. You know, in the, in to, the to nicest better creative possible, work. better creative work, yeah. get better people if you can. And he resented it because then the internationals say, well, You've got to do better work. Look at the other agencies. Look at Ogilvy. Look at um, et cetera, et cetera, DDB. And then he 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 turned fucking ballistic and 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 uh, you know eventually tried tried to get me fired, mm. which I sort of was fired, but then I was rehired because uh, anyhow it was just the the ebb and flow of uh, a political structure in a corporate American multinational. You're, you're, uh, you had a regional CEO at the time? Yeah, Ben Barnes. Ben Barnes. So presumably the relationship between the two of you was Yeah, it was important. good. He was American. He's, he's, uh, um, he was ex, uh, what was he? But anyhow, a major agency. And he was, he was solid. I mean, he was, he was a businessman. He was all about the numbers. He wouldn't mm. interfere in great work. 
and he sort of he sort of promoted it. Uh, but he was he good. Goes, yeah, you need to do great work, but he didn't actually. Well, he pushes much. Pay for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, he, he said no. He was I must admit he was he was a smart guy. And then in those days, you know, the regional, as you might know, you've got the regional planning head, you've got mm. the regional media head, you've got the regional uh, thing with CRM, and you've got the regional ECD, and you've got the CEO. Mm. And that was the team. And we found that if it's a major pitch, like, you know, in China for General Motors or something, if you put all of those in on the ground and made sure that we weren't overtaking the locals, but sort of supporting them. And even in the pitch, not everybody was there. It's not just the, you know, the no. stupid show of might. and. Uh, but, but if you had, if you had say, the, the GM pitch in China, who, who leads that pitch? Well... Dependent on the client. If it was a local client, obviously, it ha- has to be in language. Mm. But a, m- a lot of the multinationals, you know, from Kraft in those days uh, to uh, Fonterra even, and uh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, was, was, was in English. And But the leader had to be sort of the CEO of the office. But sometimes they were, you know, supported even, um, you know, at the lower ranks, et cetera. I mean, it was very much... Um, you know, it was a casting. Yeah. What is right for client? And sometimes you want all the internationals in the room because you've got all the internationals from the client as well. Yeah. And then you then you lied a lot saying, oh, no, I'll be up here every month for a week and yeah. handhold uh, the process. And, you know, if you won, you sort of uh, followed up, but mm. it was hard. <laughs> so uh, uh, did you have any disastrous pitches? Fucking loads, mate. Loads which were, you know, because they're always the fun ones. They're the fun ones, and 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 so often. I mean, you know what it's like when you fuck up. It's just you no, know I, it. No idea. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> well done. Arigato um, So so we had some uh, we had some sort of miss um, you know off brief you know and then the cultural uh, crash. Yeah. was terrible because, I'm, I mean, again, pitching, and I, I never forget, we had the Samsung remit globally at, at a time. Oh, boy, what sort of time was this? Shit, mate, this was, I can, 2000s, uh, t- maybe 2003 or four. Yeah, so Samsung hasn't, hadn't quite no, reached hadn't the quite. And this was massive scale that it did. Yeah, and then basically we had to work with Chael, as I th- yeah. uh, I still think. But it was right. Chael, Chael is the Korean. Korean Sam- is owned by the daughter of the yeah. Samsung chief. Or One something. of the chairbles, yeah. which 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 are basically so so. Yes, it's all, it's it's like interbred. Yeah. Um, we used to fly into Korea and 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 go in and show show uh, show Chael the work, and they used to nod. And then went with Chael, you know, to present it. But but a lot of the time, and you know the feeling, it, it was a room full of uh, sleeping, sleeping Koreans. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, I, look, I think for us it was just, my God, what's happening? And sometimes it was great and sometimes it was awful, but it was always the same. So you do, just impassive. We hadn't a clue. Yeah. We hadn't a clue. And it was basically, you know, yay or nay after a few days. Yeah. We wouldn't wouldn't have a clue whether it was successful or not. Yeah. We, we did You've had uh, that. at as um you know t- towards the latter end of my career we did we did a bit of work with Samsung and it was difficult. 
Well, difficult. You know, some of the guys over here, Mike Cornwall, for example, is over here. It was a great guy, but the as an organisation as a whole, it was it was, it was it's challenging. <laughs> but they've evolved. They've evolved massively, and now, I mean, uh, the Chael uh, chief creative officer is, I think, Malcolm Poynton. Yeah, you know, and he's yeah, he's amazing. He's a Kiwi, and he's done amazingly well. And he has, um, yeah, he's evolved it. Look. You know as well as I know with the Japanese, same but different. Yeah. I mean, you know, working with Japanese, the one thing I found at, at that stage was there's more of a respect for individualism than the Koreans at those stages. Now, that's being very, that's a sweeping statement, but, yeah. uh, you know, but again, the complexity. That, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that because we're, we're going to Chicago now. Oh, yeah. This is getting real. You're listening to Truth and Soul. So how did you how did you get from uh, Singapore straight Hong Kong to Chicago? This was another sort of a bizarre intersection. So IPG owned both FCB and Draft, and uh, the powers that be, which I think was Michael Roth, or it might, it might have been before him. I think no, I think it was decided that wow, why don't we smash the two agencies so, together? So, a draft originally was was uh, like a direct direct arm. marketing. Yeah. Howard yeah. Uh, built it up and sold it a few times, and and uh, so draft was a lot smaller than us. They had a sort of global network ish, about twenty offices, and we were you know a multinational. But the power that happened in Chicago was the office. Uh, so they merged internationally, but it was mainly Chicago. And Chicago had. Uh, an ECD or a chief creative officer for draft and a chief creative officer for FCB, and they hated each other. Mm. In fact, the networks hated each other. So they thought it would be a good thing to bring in a neutral, ah. non-American yeah. as chief creative officer. And I'd worked with the the president on SC Johnson internationally, Mark yeah. uh, Modesto. And Jonathan Harris uh, was the uh, CCO, the chief creative officer globally. I had um, you know, a fantastic relationship with him and helped him out on a lot of the global stuff. So, oh, and I also flew in and helped with Walmart, the pitch, which was the year before I, I relocated. So that was 2006, and we won it. So I led the creative again as an outsider, but then we lost it. How, how did you, so this was a couple of months later, how did you manage to win a pitch and... So, so, so what happened, and again, it, it, I think it, there was a mega article in the New Yorker. So Walmart uh, were... Which, which are quite a large Well, it was uh, the retailer. biggest account, yeah. And essentially they, they um, uh, have a very strict ethical sort of a guideline. Mm. And it's basically you cannot buy a Walmart representative a cup of coffee. You certainly can't mm. buy a meal for them. You have to... In, yeah. it's, it's a, and and it's absolutely sacrosanct. So we went in, you know, we won it. I mean, it was reported. It was amazing because FCB uh, Chicago, was it FCB in draft? I think it was. It had just joined. was the perfect solution, they thought. And we, I think we had a, uh, we had everything right and the team was right. But so why why did they get you in to lead that pitch anyway? For because like again, the 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 tribes at war had already started, and they were going to lose the pitch unless they had an outsider representing 
both of the sides. But, uh, but Walmart is such an American company. Yeah, I know. But, never... but they liked it as well because there was, a, you know, there was somebody else with a global sort of a perspective who'd, who'd worked on retail a lot, mm. which I had, and who could um, lead the team. I mean, I mean, I was a part of the team. The team was massive, but I was... You know the creative lead for that, but everybody. So, was did in you the get pitch. to present in the pitch? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How was that? Good, great. Americans like like an English accent. Yeah. Or a New Zealand accent. Yeah, a New Zealand stroke, South African stroke. Uh, mm. But but um, but the problem is then uh, subsequently, it's, I mean, it's all reported. I think there were impropriatory um, things in between Howard draft and the marketing. He bought him a coffee. Well, he, he he bought a bit more than coffee, and uh, the CEO of Walmart found out, and it was immediate um, uh, firing. And I th- think it was like five or eight weeks. And I was virtually on the plane to Chicago yeah. to take the role. Oh, okay. So so they gone. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, Rob, you come in. Rob, you become, Rob you've, you've won the, you know, yeah, the, the won largest Walmart. piece of business. Yeah. Brilliant. Get over. Yeah, get over. Get it was over. February. Oh, no, we've been fired. We've been fired. <laughs> So I think we got fired on February the, I don't know, it was a sort of firing on February the 3rd, and I flew in on Super Bowl Sunday. Mm. I arrived in Chicago on one of the coldest fucking days of the year mm. from Singapore in those days with what I thought was a warm jacket. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, landed to what was the war between, so everybody, so then it was a blame storming. Mm. Howard obviously would never admit it, uh, and I'm not. Look, I I actually quite like him. He's 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 a larger than life sort of a character. But but it I mean it was a maelstrom of of, of madness mm. for months. But then uh, I've got to say under Modesto and Jonathan and a whole lot of others, it 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 sort of settled. Then we won I think Kmart a few months later. Um, so, I mean, it's obviously not the size of a Walmart, but it was good. And um, then uh, the financial crisis happened. 2008. Seven, eight, yeah. So we were 1,300 staff in one office, or split into two campuses. One, so uh, Draft SCB Chicago was, it, I, th- I think at its, at the peak was 1,340 employees. I mean, it was a it was a mammoth bloody ship. And then the financial crisis hit, and I think it it reduced down to eight or nine hundred. But we became really profitable, um, which always helps. Yeah, which helps obviously as uh, with IPQ as a parent. And the, but but you know the whole uh, leadership, and eventually the president got fired uh, due to again. So that's another story on its own. So so I've just briefly. So I'd been there about three, four years, and, and, and we'd got through it, we'd grown, we'd won a lot of the beer brands, et cetera. We, we were then peaking again at 1,100 staff, et cetera. Pretty, pretty good work uh, occasionally. Not great. We weren't w- where they are at the moment. In fact, I seem to be associated with okay work, but not brilliant. Mm. Um, and then... Um, um, one day, I got a, a phone call from uh, the president's assistant crying. So I sort of ran up. We had a spiral staircase in and found that uh, she was just like 
going like that at the office door, actually pointing. So I thought, God, Mark's had a heart attack or something. Mm. And yeah, I burst in and there was the global CEO and uh, the global HR head. And they said, Rob, please sit down. And I said, where's Mark? We want to tell you. And basically, we can't tell you why, but uh, he is now not working for the company anymore. I mean, I, I'd had a meeting with him an hour prior, yeah. and uh, you cannot speak to him, and legally we can't uh, say anything. But as of now, the chief strategy or the, the whatever is uh, the new president, and, and we want you to actually stay on. But they'd also fired the CFO and a few others. And Did you ever get to the bottom? Yeah, well, I sort of got to the bottom, Um uh, it was a political move. He was marched out about uh, 20 minutes before I went upstairs by three off-duty policemen, taken to his car, removed like uh, the the access, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, took his computer and shunted him off the pre- uh, the premises. It, it, I, but you know, this is this is the corporate raiding that you read about sometimes. But I must admit, I sold my soul to the devil for a bit. I stayed for another year. It was a negotiated uh, thing because I was just saying, I mean, I can't stay. It's awful. Mm. And quite rightly, I think they said, look, please help with the transition. We know you don't want to and, and we'll make it worth your while. Why did you not want to? Because you were you were friends with... I was friends. I respect yeah. it. The guy had basically led the team of which I was mm. one to grow the agency throughout the financial crisis to a incredible place and space. It was amazing. I mean, it was just like, you know, everything is falling apart around yeah. you. But And, and we, uh, you know, he, under him, um, you know, uh, really broke through. So for me, it was just, it was representative. So, you know, it was a principle, it was ethical and everything. But you know, eventually I could see that for the team and everything, I thought, okay, I'll stay. And they, you know, made it worth my while. So so after that, that uh, curiously, um, maybe, that um, DDB talked to me about going to Chicago uh, at that time, around oh. 2006, 2007, which would have been, it would have been interesting. <laughs> two, two kind of expat Kiwis, um at the same town at the same time but well, i think yeah. uh, uh, lucky scout I, I couldn't handle those winters yeah um so from chicago you went to i went back, so chicago i mean it was it was a negotiated exit which was fine i could have stayed in america i had another role with another agency group out of london on a global but i was just i was basically i was fucked I was just, just, just I was over, you know, advertising the politics, trying to just getting on another plane at the stage. And I'm saying it, it, it was a very, you know, and I was sort of Chicago weight and I'd become a bit of a bastard, mm. you know, and, and it was not. So I thought, oh, fuck it, I'll retire, which was, um, you know, so I, I moved back to Singapore. I moved in with a mate of mine in an old, old, old army house. Um, black and black and white, they call them. And uh, yeah, and I flew around and visited the kids and relaxed and yeah. did stupid things. And and uh, I'll ask about those later. But <laughs> pretty boring yeah. stuff. But then um, you know, I, I it it it's it's like you know, I love the industry. I know that I've always loved it, but I hate you know the politics. And so a friend of mine said, look, eighty k. 
who I'd not heard of. No. You know, the third biggest yeah, Japanese. Are, 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 so I hadn't heard of them too yet. No, no, no. It's like ABC. It's like, who the yeah. fuck are they? So, um, you know, had had essentially asked me, uh, or a friend had asked me, can you speak with them about reviving a creative brand on a global sort of a basis? Reviving? Well, yeah, because... <laughs> that, because that, that's just... That's just the, that it had been. Uh... Well, it it it's yes because again it's the framing of the problem in a Japanese way. I mean it was basic. So I mean ADK was twenty four point five percent owned by WPP. Yeah. Uh, so they also wanted something, and the creative was was. I mean they were okay in Japan. Yeah, they were so, number three. So a uh, bit, bit of background, uh, Dentsu who um, I did work for, kind of have uh, <laughs> a, a, a lied with them now, but without specifically having a job. They <laughs> are the single largest advertising agency in the world, yeah. and they have something like 40% of the market in, in Japan. Japan, which is enormous, I think. The Ministry uh, of Advertising. Yeah, a massive um, skyscraper, 38 floors, yeah. 7,000 people. In Ginza, a- or Shiodome. Shiodome. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, second is Hakahodu? Hakahodu. Hakahodu, who are probably, uh, I don't know, a third of the size? Uh, half the size. Half the size. Uh, aligned with BBDO in certain yeah, markets. Who, who themselves are absolutely massive, but because Gigantic. of the, the, the size yeah. of Dentsu, um, kind of made to feel small. And then there's there's ADK, who are very much... Half the size of Hakahodu. Yeah. Or, so, or, yeah. So in, in Japanese terms, almost... Uh, and also ran, but in terms of the size of an agency, still a really big agency. Yeah. In, in, in Japan. Yeah, in Japan we had, uh, I think in head office, uh, we had about 800 staff. Yeah. And then we had another 10 or oh, eight offices around the country. And then we had 32 offices internationally. Yeah. You know, so it was the reason, you know, I spoke about creative evolution and, 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 and try, trying to revive the brand in terms just just as regards the narrative outside Japan and the fact and they wanted you know it was more international because of their um, alliance with um, Sir Martin who said you know yeah. what's happening this is ridiculous you, yeah. you know you've got thirty odd offices and you've got nothing no profile no leadership mm. etc so anyhow I got. Reluctantly, and I must admit it was at the start, I thought, I don't want to do this again, but I really liked the Japanese. Yeah. And I had a great relationship with the 2IC, and it was done in typical Japanese way. I'll tell you this, Paul, because it was hilarious. I was still in Singapore, and I'd flown over, they'd flown me over and said, Oh, oh Robson, can you talk to, you know, the creative management? Oh, sure. Hmm. Oh, Robson, like a week or so after, it's Robson, can you talk to the account leadership? I go, well, fly me over, you know. Mm. Da, da, da. And, and then after three or four times, oh, can you speak to the president's office about creative revival? And it was basically, mm. it was the typical getting a t- like a relationship started. And and, and then uh, Nakai-san, the, uh, the 2IC, f- uh, phoned me one day and he said, oh, Rob, are you available for lunch on Friday, da, 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 which was a few weeks out? I said, yeah, I mean, I am. Where? <laughs> uh, Singapore. Singapore. Oh, I can't, 
it's wonderful that mm. you'll be, oh, yes, yeah, fine. So then the day prior, he said, oh, Rob, just confirming our lunch. And I said, Norrie, it's, it's mm. fantastic. He said, because I have to tell you, I'm flying there just to have lunch with you. Mm. The two I see of the company, to make sure that this was understood as a respectful, definite thing, flew from Tokyo to Singapore to have lunch with so the, you, weren't, you weren't going for a quick bowl of noodles? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was it was fantastic, and I, I and 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 you know it, it look it was great. And then started off as a global chief creative officer, but that was a bizarre time, but a lovely time sitting in like meetings. And so I spent a week a month in Tokyo every month. I flew there. So it was a, a full time gig. Full time gig, and then I flew around all the offices as well and yeah. started on that. Anyhow, it sort of evolved into. Um, you know, I, I I basically just realize what I am again, which is I'm better at leading, at instigating, at, yeah. at finding the people and, and creating a belief system than actually creating the work, I, yeah. which I still enjoy, but I, I, you know, I have to say. So... You enjoy it, but you, I bet there might be other people who are better at it. I, I, almost everybody I know. <laughs> um, and... and um, yeah, basically, it sort of evolved into they saw a few of the moves and they saw what was happening and the, and the whole thing, and then eventually they made me CEO of all the global offices. Yeah, and then I was on the the um, executive board, the, the board in in Tokyo. In Tokyo, how did how did that work? Because translators, it, mate. Yeah, because within uh, Dentsu, um, oh jeez, I can't remember his name. Andre. Tim Andre. Tim Andre. Tim Andre is uh, ex uh, NBA basketball player. Six foot ten. Uh, yep. And is uh, like Papa Smurf, six foot ten. Massive yeah. shock of white hair and white beard. And his first ever non-Japanese on the board in Dentsu. In, in Dentsu. And you were the first ever non-Japanese oh, on yeah. the board. And the last, I think, as well. Yeah. Well, they, they took one <laughs> look at you and never again. No, it was. Look, it was great. How did that work? It. 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 it it was a lot of you know respect and translation and and uh, you know it it, it look. So I, did you did you actually on occasion have to stand up and present to, yeah, to the board every in occasion. English with a translator numbers that's all. And they here wanted. are the here are the numbers. Here are the numbers. Yeah. I went through it and yeah. and uh, Gee, you really had to trust your CFO because it must if it was kind of being done in Japanese, it would be difficult for you to... What yeah. exactly does that figure mean? Well, I, I sort of... Look, the lucky thing is about failing at accountancy is I had a basic structural understanding of, of yeah. the numbers. And... and uh, But, yeah, no, it was good. It, look, the fact is, though, that the difference in between, you know, an American multinational and the Japanese as a gaijin, as a non-Japanese, mm. is it's the politics didn't affect me at all. There are politics aplenty in Japan, God, more, yes. more so. But as a guy, you will never know. <laughs> I will never know. I always say we've got the level of understanding. You've got one layer at the top that we all understand. Mm. It's it's overt. It's all around us. Then sometimes in the West we've got that second layer, which is the sort of um, you know ambiguous, obtuse. Yeah, so somebody pulls you aside quietly and says, yeah, like, "What boy. you need to understand is exactly." You know, but in Japan, those layers go down about eight or ten. Yeah, that we just—it's—it's it's just like really. Because you didn't learn Japanese, right? No. 
and your reason was if because even if I'd have had the even if I was linguistically fantastic, I would, would have still sounded like a twelve-year-old school kid. Mm. Of which most people I know, there are a few who are fantastic, a few uh, expats, but most they say, "Oh, I speak Japanese," and they don't know. And then after the meeting, I speak with a Japanese friend. I said, "So are they fluent?" They go, "Ah." It's a 60%. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned this in another podcast. I, I thought, you know, working for, for a Japanese company would be good to, to at least pick up a, a smattering. And I, I, and I t- uh, talked to one of my uh, contacts in uh, in Dentsu, and they said, actually, it's they don't want you to learn Japanese because they're worried that you then might understand what they're saying exactly. about you. Which I was, you know, I was, okay, it's fair enough as long as yeah. I understand. You know, as long as you learn a few words and you can, uh, and you understand the culture Bitter. sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biro. <laughs> yeah. Biro. And, and um, that's, that's the, um, you know, the, 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 Look again. It's just respect and and uh, and understanding our role as a gaijin yeah. Yeah. in a Japanese sort of corporate culture. And yeah, and then I'm I like evolved from um, CEO, and then I uh, um, I was part of so uh, I think WPP. So I dealt quite a bit with Sorel and Scott Spirit and and uh, yeah. the accountants, and I was the Gaijin. So obviously they they it was easier speaking with me than um, yeah. any other Japanese. But it but it, you know I had to remind them that i work for adk i don't work for wpp even yeah. though you own 24.5 percent of the company and we owned uh, i think two percent of uh, wpp globally but eventually it became a little bit incendiary at the same time bain looked at us as an acquisition so i'd evolved at that stage bain Capital uh, started the conversations. I then stepped aside to become chairman of the global operation. We bought in a Japanese, uh, uh, um, I've forgotten his name. He used to run McCann's in Japan, yeah. which was good. I mean, he he's, he's very, like, international, but he's a Japanese, so it was a better thing. But, you know, I've got to say that, that uh, within my sort of uh, few years of leadership there, we did pretty well we changed the culture internationally we started you know some of the offices really um grew in strength i think uh the taiwan office with uh, richard um uh won a lot of awards including a grant was it a grand prix or a gold at can and a few others i mean it was pretty amazing I believe I believe yeah and then we you know the visibility grew and everything and we yeah, we did like it was all the things that was starting, but there wasn't the heart to do any um, acquisitions uh, outside Japan. Yeah, uh, and also acquiring the talent was a bit hard. I mean, we did some, which was good. Anyhow, so that evolved. I became chairman, which was a. I was. I describe it as a Starbucks, uh, no fat milk decaf with nothing else in it. It's basically a cup of not much. So I used to fly around, and I was wheeled out at a lot of the pictures, yeah. etc. and did a chairmanly Old role. Old Mr. Grace. It was, it was. And, uh, we've got one of those. Young Mr. Grace, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> no. 
Anyhow, that evolved into I became the executive advisor to the president's office, which was basically the runway for retirement. So I think yeah. I was 60 at that stage, and and uh, it was great. And I'm still friends of the agency massively. I respect almost everybody there and a lot of friends there. And, and you know, I'm still, like, semi-involved. Whenever, you know, they want anything or I feel that I can help in any way, I yeah. will. But, you know, that's good. Keep smiling. Just keep smiling. I, I, I love I love hearing about those, uh, and, and hopefully another time we'll get to get to talk about the, the ins and outs of um, uh, working in Tokyo, which is fun and great. As a as a regional ECD, going back to the work, so teams teams will come from all over the region, and and you're working on a say you're working on a big pitch, Samsung, whatever, and we're, and we've got these work, and it's your job to take the thread from that and bash it into yeah. some kind of cohesive, coherent, pitch winning, clear, clean thought. How how did you go about that process? Well, I think it's, it's look. It's it's like even if you're working in a small agency or a massive multinational, it's exactly the same. I mean, the you know the cream rises, the the and it's it's sort of the evolution of ideas within a you know like a sort of like a uh, um, like a pressurized <laughs> environment. It was the same sort of process, and I think it was again. For me, it was managing the people to get the best out of them and, 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 and creating an environment of, you know, freedom and inclusion. And it was always, I don't care whether you're the junior from, you know, from, from, uh, from Seoul or the, you know, ECD of India. Mm. It, it, if you come up with the idea, we're going to get on board and promote it. So it was... But, but it's your job. If it's the junior from Seoul, who yeah. has a great idea, it's your job to then go to the ECD yeah. for, from India and go, yeah, sorry about that, mate, but we're actually... No, and but if you have the relationship with the ECD in India and he knows what you stand for and you're not sort of upgrade an individual to downgrade mm. him, it's, it's, and it became we're all sort of part of the process. So we all have ownership. Obviously, uh, the guy from Seoul is, is, is the instigator of that and has ownership, yeah. but we're all going to make this better and bigger. And he can't. You can. Yeah. So it was all of those leadership things that you learn. But, but you know, again, mate, I've got to say that, that um, the one thing about experience I always say, I mean, I can say after 40-odd years, I'm experienced. But experience is also an encumbrance because I know what to do, which might not be the right thing. Yes. You know, so I'm encumbered by knowing, oh, well, this is what I used to do in the past, so this is what I'm going to yeah. going to do again. And, and I know what a campaign looks like. Exactly. I know what an ad looks like, so yep. I will beat this into shape so that it looks like that. Yeah, I, I have found that ability and that skill that comes through experience can absolutely... Derail. Because sometimes it, it requires hands-off. Yeah. It requires to go, I don't quite get it, but it looks like it could be brilliant, so I'm going to step aside and, exactly. let, and let you guys do it. It's yeah. very hard to do that, and I've I've done that, and it's turned, not exactly a plane crash, but it's just yeah. turned into a pile of poop because it needed that. And other times I've sometimes enforcedly stepped back, and it's turned into a thing of brilliant. beauty. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's sort of like knowing when to... Uh, but... 
you know, the role of a regional ECD is never easy. And it's less, I believe, of being a brilliant, creative lighthouse individually and more of trying to create a collective where everybody feels empowered, engaged and wants to do the best. Obviously, you still have to cull at times. You have to bring in the talent. You have to make sure yeah. that, that, you know, the ecosystem of, of, of excitement is is understood and palpable and there's competitive sets there has to be mm. etc but it's not just saying you know it's not land grab and and i've always been mate i've never you know you pass ownership down it's easy for me because i'm not that good mm. but for people who are really good they find it bloody hard but the yeah. great leaders always pass ownership down i think they're still involved they don't say well it's your responsibility whether it's success or failure you still have to own it I wonder if, if part of the reason for your success is is your ability to, because my, most creators are quite arrogant and think what they do is wonderful work, but an ability to go, well, I, you know, you guys have done this, to honestly say you guys have done it better than I, I yeah. could imagine. Okay, let, let, let's What's go from true? there. Now, Socrates, Socrates saying, I don't know everything. I, all I know is that I know nothing. Yeah. Is, supposedly a strength yeah look i mean i'm not saying it, it, it yes you're not comparing yourself with socrates but no no <laughs> but, you know i've i've we all find our sort of space and place in life i think and we've you know we find what we enjoy as well so so you know at the moment i'm now involved in sort of advisory boards yeah because i enjoy it and i always say who, who for so Rumble, which is a group out of Australia, we're in Singapore and hopefully in NZ soon. Uh, I, a group of it's an ad. It's basically a mini uh, holding company, but yeah. it's an agency at the core. Um, who owns it? So uh, Remy, Nancy, and James, who who basically the background is they created the best job in the world at uh, I think it was Cummins and Partners, Brisbane, or, uh, Brisbane. Yeah. You know, and 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 they're great. They're lovely, and and uh, they've got media company, digital PR, etc. Who who are all um, involved in it. It's a brilliant. So they're they're now the head office is Australia oh, in right. Brisbane. There's an oh, office right, in so. Singapore with Andy Greenaway. Yeah, at the lead, and uh, soon soon to be an office in uh, New Zealand. So that's exciting. So, do, so yep. uh, do we have any news on the office in New Zealand? Yeah, not yet, no. But um, you know, yeah. Please let me know if anybody's excited by the by the potential. Um, and uh, yeah, and then an M and A consultancy out of um, uh, for the creators Singapore. that's mergers and acquisitions. Yes, mergers and acquisitions. Although I'm guessing there's not a huge amount of that going on. There's in the world a lot right now. going on, mate, oh, really? especially yeah. in the tech and martech and everything, oh, yeah. and that's yeah. their specialisation. Um, so that's based out of Singapore, but global, and then a couple of other um, startups which I'm involved with uh, in the the te- the media tech space. Let's say. Um, which are exciting. But I always say, before I get involved, is there are three things I look at. Can I be relevant? Can I add value? And will I have fun? It's not, can I earn a shitload of money? If you don't do the first two, you I'm fucking, yeah, yeah. yeah. But relevancy is the whole thing. If you're not relevant for a role or a job or a whatever, you just, it's gonna turn into a shit show. Um, Rob, it's been fantastic talking to you. And I hope uh, uh, because it, it, curiously, our careers have sort of been 
vaguely parallel, but in, in different parts of the world at different, at different times. And, and hope, hopefully we'll get to, to continue this, this conversation with some names uh, outside the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, and I hope for, for listeners, it, it, it kind of gives an insight into the, the regional ECD role. Because a part of this podcast is to try and be educational, give people different ideas about about what goes on. Yeah, yeah. Um, we haven't actually talked about work, which is fine. But what what for you would be the the piece of work that you'd be most proud to have been associated with? You're going to have a couple. Well, you know, it's it's, and it is association. Yeah. Because. <laughs> You yeah, know, you're in the same country. I, I was in the same country, <laughs> so, but I think I was asleep at the time. Mm. But but you know, there's not one. You know, it's not like a Tutsil who's got his John West yeah. salmon, yeah. etc. I'm I'm so sorry, I've just not got that. But some of the beer stuff out of America we did was fantastic. Some of the which which, which brand? Uh, for Coors Light and yeah. for Bud Light, we got both yeah. both brands in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, both of them. Both of them, yeah. I, at one stage, both Anheuser Busch. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the 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 most recent is the work for ADK for uh, for Taiwan for the House of Little Moments, which was a beautifully uh, done. Um, Sort of uh, multi-film uh, webisodes for uh, a noodle noodle brand, which I help Richard uh, promote and produce and everything. But again, I mean, it's the talent of individuals like Richard, you, and and uh, some of the guys in the state. So again, I I I, I really, you know, I could mention things where I, you know. Been involved, but no, it's 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 right on TV and thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, sorry. I mean, I'm not, and it, and it just goes to show that I'm not. I'm not a brilliant creative at all. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather work with somebody like a Todd McCracken, who I think yeah. is a brilliant creative. Um, well, that Todd, next that door. Todd next door. <laughs> yeah. I walked past and I thought that's where Toddy is, and yeah. and and you know, individuals like that who have produced, you know, brilliant mm. work. The dedication and the pain they go through. You know, sometimes I have to manage around it if it be, uh, if they uh, work work with me. That's my skill set is so removing. So you are the creative enabler. I would like to think so, unless I fire people like Josh Moore, which I still don't <laughs> remember. I for the life of me, I want to say. In fact, I'll ask contact him. him. Yeah, I will ask him because I. Um, Rob Sherlock, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I, I know you, you've got to go now, but that was great. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Paul. You've been listening to Truth and Soul, the New Zealand Advertising Podcast. Okay, a list of credits. Thank you very much um, to this week's guest. Uh, if you liked it, uh, drop us a line, uh, paul at truthandsoul.co.nz. Thank you very much to everyone at Franklin Road, uh, Jonathan Cole, uh, the Wastrel Shane, Vanessa, and uh, Otis, who did the logo, and uh, Matt Stalker, who's going to play us out. Thank you.
centrifugal force pulls us apart as we spin. Please forgive my trembling hands, crudely silhouetted by the flickering spires of candlelight. While the wicked sleep sound, the anxious toss and turn, thoughts come not as single spies, but in battalions. While the wicked sleep sound, the anxious toss and Fascination with dendrology The family tree is losing its leaves Please forgive my trembling hands Crudely silhouetted by the flickering spires of candlelight While the wicked sleep sound The anxious toss and turn Thoughts come not as single spies, but in battalions. While the wicked sleep sound, the anxious toss and turn. The anxious toss and turn.